The following audio is from Jacob's Well Church. For more information about Jacob's Well Church, please visit www.jacobswellgb.org. My, my dad uh, golfed every Monday. He was a pastor, and every Monday he golfed, so it was really easy um, to know what to get him for Father's Day, and it was a sleeve of golf balls. Because uh, he liked to golf, and because he wasn't a very good golfer, he needed the golf balls. So it was, it was great. Later, uh, or earlier this week, I kept hearing commercials over and over again from Fleet Farm. Um, get your father what he really wants. Anyone hear those? Get your father what he really wants. And so I was uh, been asked to preach on this day, on Father's Day. The thought came to me, what if we asked our Heavenly Father what he really would want? What would that gift be if we asked God what he wanted from us? So in doing that, I came up with this verse, or I didn't come up with it, but this verse from uh, 3 John, verse 4. I have no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in the truth. So today, I'm going to pull a Steinbarger. Chris preached uh, not too long ago, and what he did was um, he started his sermon by telling us his conclusion, right? And I thought, well, that's a, that's a neat way to do it. So if I get off track, at least they heard what I was supposed to say at the beginning. So here's, here's what I'm going to do. This is the conclusion of the matter. I, I believe that what God would want for us to honor him, what he would rejoice in, is that we were walking in the truth. And then the question is, what would walking in the truth be? Well, as we look at Scripture, especially in, in, uh, in 1st, 2nd, 3rd John, we see the, the concept of walking in the light as he is in the light, as Jesus is in the light, walking like Jesus or even in Colossians 2.6, therefore as you receive Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him. I would like to tell you or say that I believe walking in the truth is like walking with Jesus and becoming like him. In fact, here we go. From Romans 8.28-30. And we know that for all those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. And here's his purpose. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And to those he called, he also justified. And to those whom he justified, he also glorified. In other words, to put it in, to, to all sum it up here, the whole purpose of God in sending his Son to die for our sins, is to reconcile us to himself so that we might become like his son. So that we might become like his son. Like God himself. Because you recall, Jesus says, the things I do, I do because I see my father doing them. I and my father are one. Jesus is the exact image and representation of God on earth. And as we become like Jesus, we become like our Heavenly Father. I almost entitled our, my sermon as a Chip Off the Old Block. Because this is the idea, this is the purpose God has for us, is that we become like Him. So, Jesus didn't die on the cross so that you can go to heaven. That's a benefit, right? Jesus' death on the cross 
is not strictly just to forgive you your sin. That's the means by which you can be united with him and become like his son. It's all about being like him and being in relationship with the Heavenly Father. Amen? All right. So now that I've told you my sermon, I'm going to pray, and then we'll go on. Heavenly Father, I pray that you would open our eyes and our hearts to your word. I pray, God, that as we look at how we might honor you and know what would cause rejoicing in you, Lord, we would seek it for ourselves, not for our glory, but for yours, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So I'm going old school, besides the Steinbarger, I'm also going to go old school and do an old... Testament lesson and a New Testament lesson. All right. From Hosea chapter 11. 757 in the Red Bible, 1080 in the children's. Hear the word of the Lord. When Israel was a child, I loved him. And out of Egypt, I called my son. The more they were called, the more they went away. They kept sacrificing to the Baals and burning offerings to idols. Yet it was I who taught Ephraim to walk. I took them up by their arms, but they did not know that I healed them. I led them with cords of kindness, with bands of love. And I became to them as one who eases the yoke on their jaws, and I bent down and fed them. They shall not return to the land of Egypt, but Assyria will be their king because they have refused to return to me. The sword shall rage against their cities, consume the bars of their gates, and devour them because of their own counsels. My people are bent from turning away from me. Though they call out to the Most High, he shall not raise them up at all. How can I give you up, O Ephraim? How can I hand you over, O Israel? How can I make you like Adma? How can I treat you like Zeboim? My heart recoils within me. My compassion grows warm and tender. I will not execute my burning anger. I'll not again destroy Ephraim, for I am God and not a man, the Holy One in your midst, and I will not come in wrath. They shall go after the Lord. He will roar like a lion. And when he roars, his children shall come trembling from the west. They shall come trembling like birds from Egypt, like doves from the land of Assyria. And I will return them to their homes, declares the Lord. Ephraim has surrounded me with lies and the house of Israel with deceit. But Judah still walks with God and is faithful to the Holy One. The New Testament lesson is from Luke chapter 15, starting in verse 11. And that's found in 874 in the Red Bible and 1277 in the children's. Hear the gospel. And Jesus said, There was a man who had two sons. And the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of my property that is coming to me. And he divided his property between them. 
Not many days later, the younger son gathered all he had and took a journey into a far country. And there he squandered his property in reckless living. And when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in the country, and he began to be in need. So he went out and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country who sent him into his fields to feed pigs. And he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate, and no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread? But I perish here with hunger. I will arise and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. And he rose and he came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to the servants, Bring quickly the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet and bring the fatted calf and kill it and let's eat and celebrate. For this, my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. Now his older son was in the field. And as he came and drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing. And he had called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. And he said to him, Your brother has come, and your father has killed the fattened calf because he received him back safe and sound. But he was angry and refused to go in. His father came out and entreated him. But he answered his father, Look, These many years I have served you, and I have never disobeyed your command, yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came, who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fatted calf for him. And he said to him, Son, you are always with me, and all that is mine is yours. It was fitting to celebrate and to be glad. For this your brother was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Hosea 11 is um, a fascinating passage to me. uh, Personally, because of what it's meant to me in my life. For a long time, I think I struggled with improper visions of what God was like. I had a hard time sometimes reconciling what it appeared to be the God of the New Testament uh, as revealed by Jesus and the God of the Old uh, Testament. And it was in Hosea 11 in this study, especially the idea of God's holiness, that really struck me. Because here is God, the Father, who has every right to destroy Israel every right, and we'll get to that here in just a moment, but his compassion for his child, for Israel, 
is so great, he decides, I'm not going to do it. Why? Because he's the Holy One. What? That, that didn't compute in my mind. It meant that for me, I had to change my whole idea of holiness. I guess my idea of holiness was a kind of a stuck-up, prudish, you know, draw the lines, count whether you're good or bad, and make those judgments. But the uniqueness and holiness of God is revealed to us in a lot of ways. And part of that is his utter love for his people. In the past, the desire to be holy was uh, <laughs> non-existent in my life. But if the pursuit of holiness means becoming like the Father in these stories, I think that's pretty good. Hosea chapter 11 is a lawsuit. Israel, the northern kingdom, is being presented as a rebellious son. The other son, Judah, who's in the south, is faithful. So we have a story of a rebellious son and a gracious father. Israel's rebellious. Judah's faithful. God shows us in his first couple verses that he is the perfect father. There is no excuse for his son's rebellion. God has done everything right. Out of his love, he calls his son out of Egypt, but the more he calls, the more they rebel. He disciples them and disciplines them in love. He gives them all that they need. He takes the yoke off them so they're not slaves, but gives them and feeds them as free people. And in response to God's love and God's discipline and God's perfection, they wanted to follow after other gods, after the Baals. The implication of this we see in Hosea eleven five through 7 is that the curses, uh, the covenant curses um, need to be enacted. Or to keep the son-father narrative going, the rebellious son deserves to be put to death. Deuteronomy chapter 21, 18 through 20 says, If a man has a stubborn and rebellious son who will not obey the voice of his father or the voice of his mother, and though they discipline him, will not listen to them, then his father and mother shall take hold of him and bring them out to the elders of the city at the gate of the place where he lives. And they shall say to the elders of the city, This our son is stubborn and rebellious. He will not obey our voice. He is a glutton and a drunkard. Then the men of the city shall stone him to death with stones. And they shall purge the evil from your midst. And all Israel shall hear and fear. <clears throat> Boys. You listen to this? Okay. The, the second is from Deuteronomy chapter 29, looking at it from a covenantal perspective. 22 through 38. Your children who rise up after you and the foreigner who comes from a far land will say when they see the afflictions of that land and the sickness with which the Lord has made it sick, the whole land burned out with brimstone and salt. Nothing sown, nothing growing, where no plant can sprout, an overthrow like that of Sodom and Gomorrah, Adma and Zeboim, which the Lord will, which the Lord overthrew in His anger and wrath. 
All the nations will say, why has the Lord done thus to the land? What caused the heat of his great anger? When the people will say, it is because they abandoned the covenant of the Lord, the God of their fathers, with, which he made with them while he brought them out of the land of Egypt and went and served other gods and worshipped them, gods whom they had not known and whom he had not allotted to them. Therefore the anger of the Lord was kindled against this land, bringing upon it all the curses written in the book, and the Lord uprooted them from their land in anger and fury and great wrath and cast them into another land as they are this day. So God takes his case before the, before the world and shows that Israel has been rebellious, that he has been uh, a perfect father. And so these covenant curses, the death sentence is being enacted. Adma and Zeboim. You heard that in the Hosea chapter 11. How many of you guys have never heard of Adma and Zeboim? Okay, a lot of you. This is why. When the cities of the plain were consumed by fire and brimstone, Sodom and Gomorrah, everyone remembers? Part of the punishment of Zeboim and Adma is that they were so bad, they are no longer remembered. They're no longer remembered. And part of the curses of the covenant, when they agreed at Sinai, we'll obey this. Yeah, we'll obey it. Are you sure? Yeah, we'll obey it. And God said, okay, we'll do this. But so there's blessings if you obey. If you do these things, this is, what, this is the end result. If you continue to do it no matter what, if I, if through my discipline, through everything, if you continue on that path of idolatry, I'm going to make you like Adma and Zeboim. And God has made his case that Israel, the northern kingdom, has been that way. And what does God do? He relents. He says, how can I do this to my own son? How can I do this? How can I make my son whom I love like Admon Zeboim? So he declares he's not going to do it. Because he's the Holy One, not a man. And shows then his love and compassion. He does say that he will take them out to captivity through Assyria, but that he will bring them back. In 722, about 722 years before Christ was born, this happened. Assyria came, they conquered the northern kingdom of Israel, took the people captive. Many of them became slaves. Many were dis, uh, distributed amongst the nations. Uh, the kings of Assyria then put other foreign people into the northern kingdom. They ended up marrying people who were in the northern kingdom. Their offspring are known as the Samaritans. Later on, Judah became unfaithful. Babylon took them captive. They took captives over and scattered them amongst the nations too. But eventually God brought the, north, the southern kingdom back, the Babylonian exile. They came back. And when they came back, they were humbled, they were repentant, they were seeking after God, and they found when they got there, the Jews living in the area and the Samaritans were against them. They came to rebuild Jerusalem, to rebuild the temple, and they found opposition after opposition. They found an ungrateful brother. Now here it is in Jesus' day. Jesus is out doing ministry. 
he is declaring to everybody that the exile is over and he's bringing all the children of Israel and even the Gentiles, though they probably didn't realize this at the time, to the Father. He's bringing them all back. And everything in his ministry is showing signs that the exile is over and that those people who have been uh, out in judgment are being brought back to the Father. Who's Jesus with? He's with the rebels, isn't he? He's with tax collectors and sinners, with prostitutes and adulterers. He's eating with them. He's celebrating with them. He's rejoicing with them. But meanwhile, there's opposition. The opposition from Pharisees, from those who kept the law, those who saw themselves as the faithful brother. So Jesus tells some parables. He tells parables of lost coins and lost sheep. Things that everyone can agree with. You know, if a woman who has a dowry of coins loses some, and they sweep the whole house looking for a lost coin, and they find it, everyone realizes they should celebrate. And the Pharisees were probably going, yeah, yeah, the kingdom of God's like that. That's great. Or a shepherd who loses a sheep, and he goes out, leaves the 99, finds the finds the lost sheep and comes back, everyone celebrates. And I'm sure the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, all the righteous people are going, That's, yeah, the kingdom of God's like that. Yeah, yeah. And then Jesus says, the ki- then there's this father who has two sons, and one of them, the younger, is this unfaithful one who's gone off and, and wasted all his money and his inheritance. He wished the father was dead. That's really what's going on here. He wishes he's dead, takes the inheritance, squanders it on prostitutes and all that stuff, and he comes back. See, the kingdom of God is like this. The father running out and and, and embracing him and reconciling him and giving him the authority of a son. And and the Pharisees are going, "I, I I don't know if I get this. And then it gets worse. You know that other son? The faithful son? The one that's out in the field who's angered by it? I think the Pharisees and a lot of the teachers of the law realize that Jesus is pointing his finger at them. And the reality is, is that they know the history of Israel. They know that when the people came back out of exile, they were the ones who came and had repented, and the people that were left there were the ungrateful people and what Jesus has just done was told a story that twists it and puts them in that position and they know exactly what Jesus has just done the elder brother is a rebel too he's a rebel because he's not on board with God's cause the father's cause he's more concerned about his own parties And he's more concerned about being rewarded for his good work. He's more concerned about um, the inheritance that was squandered than about his own father. Than his own father. Friends, I, I honestly believe that a lot of times... Evangelical, Protestant, Christian churches seek to produce older sons. This becomes the model. 
We want our children to grow up and be responsible. We want them to be um, good. We want to teach them that these things please the Father. In some ways they do. The problem is, is if you've grown up in that, it's very easy to see ourselves in the position of the older son, isn't it? And we're glad when we hear reports of people coming to Christ as long as they weren't getting cleaned up in our church and around our own children. Right? The question is, see, I don't even, I kind of went off on my own thing. Let's go to this one. Our tale and our gracious father. Our conclusion. There you go. What kind of child are you? God is a, an amazing father. He is a perfect father. His love is more than we can describe. When we look at the tale that Jesus speaks of, of the prodigal son... The story of that gracious father, there are some things that I just want to highlight. One is, is that in that day and age and in that culture, the idea of a father getting up and running towards his son would be a complete embarrassment. That is not something that you would do. That would, some, that would be one of those things where the kids would go, oh, dad, what are you doing? You're humiliating yourself. You're humiliating yourself. And that is what God does constantly. He humiliates himself. He humbles himself. He runs to us and embraces us. All through scripture. I grew up with the idea that when we sin, God is so holy that he can't bear to be around sinful people. So God goes away from us. And the truth is, is that we need, or then my idea is, is that we need to somehow make ourselves right so that we can get to God. But, but that's not how it is in Scripture at all. Anywhere. Anywhere. Starting from Genesis. Adam and Eve sin. They sin. What do they do? They hide. What does God do? He goes after them. Adam, Adam, where are you? Right? Everywhere in Scripture, this is what God does. Human beings hide because of our sin. God seeks us and finds us and calls us to himself all over. Jesus doing that is nothing new. Jesus is sent by the Father to do the Father's will. The second part in the story of the prodigal son is, is that as we look at how other cultures have seen this story, it's universal with the exception of America and parts of Europe, is that there's an understanding that the older brother has an obligation to the father, that is to provide reconciliation between the brother and his father. And all sorts of cultures that read this story, they're mad and upset about that older brother because they're the ones that should have gone searching for the younger brother and brought him to the father to, be, to make reconciliation. 
and the, the brother never did. Jesus, then, we see in his ministry as he's taking the place of the brother. He is the faithful son. He is the one that goes out and seeks the lost and seeks us. He is the father represented on earth. He goes and seeks us and embraces us. He brings reconciliation and forgiveness So what kind of child are you? Are you a rebel? Do you find that you are out and lost? Wishing kind of that God would be dead so you can get along with your life? Do the things that you want to do? My prayer for you is that you come to your senses. Come to your senses and wake up. Listen to the Father calling you. Come to the Father's embrace. Whatever your life is like right now, it is infinitely less than what it could be in the Father's loving household. Are you a hypocrite? That comes in many forms. There's the pseudo-rebels out there enjoying themselves until times get tough. They come begging that God would bail them out, but they really don't want God. They just want his stuff. They just want to get bailed out by God and then go back to their life. They want grace, not God. How about are you a hypocrite? You're pretty good at the following rules thing. You're a pretty nice guy, but not a loving guy. You know what I mean? You would be one of those good neighbors that you wouldn't harm a fly. But you're uh, not humble enough to go love someone. You might lend someone your lawnmower but you're not going to humiliate yourself in front of them because you love them. We want to be Christian, but not Christ-like. Are you one who wants an inheritance without a relationship with the Father? I said a prayer, I was baptized, that's good enough to get me to heaven, as if heaven is what it's all about, and not a relationship with this heavenly Father. I think those are the biggest hypocrites we see in our day and age, and it's what I point my own finger to. It's easy to slip into that mode. Wanting to be good enough and not wanting the Father. What would really make the Lord happy, our Heavenly Father is happy, that He would rejoice, is when we're faithful. By that I mean this, that we come to our senses and realize it's all about our Father. That we can't be perfect, we can't do anything on our own, it's all about His favor, His grace. 
that we see that we truly are like the younger son. That we're rebels needing to repent. And that we live a life of repentance. That we seek to know the Father intimately through the Son. That we seek the Father's will by imitating the Son. And he is a good father. The father's love that we tend to run from is patient. We see this in both the stories. The father's love is patient and his love is kind. His love does not envy and it does not boast. And it certainly is not proud. God's love does not dishonor others, and it's not self-seeking. It's not easily angered. (laughs) Not easily angered. And our Father's love keeps no record of wrongs. Our Father's love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with truth. Our Father's love always protects. It always trusts. It always hopes. It always perseveres. Our Father's love, it never fails. Why would we run from such a God as this? We can't do it on our own, but our Lord Jesus Christ told another story. He asked, which one of you fathers even though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your son, to your children. How much more will the Heavenly Father give you the Holy Spirit if you ask? We cannot hope to imitate Christ without his Spirit working in our life. If you even have just the desire, the hope of seeking after God, And being faithful, pray for his Holy Spirit. Pray for his grace. Pray for his strength. It is the only way. And know and rely on this, that when, not if, when you fail, he will continually call your name. He will continually run toward you and embrace you. This is what our Father rejoices in. This This is how we honor him. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you and we praise you for your love, for your grace, for your unrelenting love. God, it is my prayer that as each of us imagine where we're at in our lives, that your call would reach us wherever we are, that you would call us back to yourself, that we may once again enjoy the embrace that you give us in reconciliation, that we'd enjoy once again the emblems of sonship, of being your child. And I pray, God, and it is our hope that we might be more and more like your son, Jesus.
Help us, Lord, not to be content with a label Christian. Help us, Lord, to be like your son, Jesus, the firstborn among many brothers. Through Christ our Lord we pray. Amen.